Hey everybody, welcome back to the producers 2018. Oh man, I was a little I was a little nervous about taking a break, but um yeah, we are back and uh wow, first episode is a good one. Um good friend of mine, uh Bob Nichols. Um yeah, he is he was my 201 teacher and uh just up top just want to plug his current uh social media endeavors. They're all going to be Instagram. Uh, as you'll find out, he's a big fan of Instagram. Uh, so we have Robert Nichols. Um, that's Robert spelled normally. Uh, N-I-C-K-L-E-S. Um, I think he's a wonderful follow. Um, lots of good stuff. Um, and then let me... I'm looking up episode go. So the next one is Here's the Kicker. Um, but it has four E's in the first E slot. So H-E-E-E-E-R-E-S, the kicker. Um, that's his... Uh, his improv trio. Um, I have not seen them perform, but I've seen um, the members perform separately, and they're all very hilarious. Um, so I encourage that. And then I gotta remember his other one, um, his puppet one. <laughs> He's the best. Um, I search for puppet. No, I'm gonna find it. Uh, I'm gonna find it while I'm talking. Um, so yeah, um, you know. Uh, all the social media for the show, uh, producerscast at gmail.com, at producerscast on your preferred social media. Um, I think we're on all of them pretty much. I found it um, teensy tiny little bit, T-E-N-S-Y tiny little bit. All these will be in the description. Um, I love Bob, and this is quintessential Bob. Um, yeah, you'll you can find all these being followed by... Um, their producer's cast account. Um, yeah, happy to be back. Um, oh, I guess you all noticed that the episodes are a little shorter. Um, trying a new format. Uh, I guess that's all I really need to say. Try a new format. Um, so yeah, that's a long enough intro. Jeez, I'm going to get back to two hours if I keep this up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, any of Bob's people who found this, um, thank you so much for listening and you, we all know you have a wonderful person in your life. Uh, without further ado, here's the episode. So yeah, feel free to put anything anywhere. Bueno. Bueno. Yeah, so I'm not very familiar with your podcast. Um, <laughs> do you want to give me some, like... Do you want to prep me at all, or do you just no, go in cold totally and talk? I usually just start. I kind of it's remember start. that was your... Yeah, the thing, the thing is, is this is the first time I've done with the new year. And the last year format, as you remember, it was two hours. Yeah. It was... It was basically, it turned out to be like an hour of creativity and an hour of like relationships. 
Mm-hmm. But I realize that not everyone's as into relationships as mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. or wants to be that vulnerable, which was kind of the intention I set when doing it. Is uh-huh. I want to be very vulnerable and I'm very open and I want to just get into it with somebody who wants to explore things. Cool. However, I decided to tone it down a bit. Probably like 45, 15. No, mm-hmm. hard, no hard rules. If it goes over, it goes over. But like... Mm-hmm. Mostly with the intention of like, let's sh- let's shorten it a bit and see like if it's sweeter and more condensed. Mm-hmm. Um, Got it. Yeah, you've been you've been someone I've wanted to have on for a while. Yeah, thank you. Why is that? <laughs> uh, is um, there? Th- I mean, there's a couple reasons. One, yeah. just because of you, as you. I also think you're great. Thank you. <laughs> um, but also, it kind of turned into this thing where it was, it was mostly like improv students that I was having on people who mm-hmm. were in my classes mm-hmm. and it felt really good to kind of like chronicle that because like if I wanted to go back I could listen to it and like that was my one-on-one class and that was my two-on-one class and I wanted to have my one-on-one teacher on but we just couldn't make it happen and like I was, but, but so adding you being my teacher for two-on-one and mm-hmm. you being you I was like mm-hmm. this is the perfect kind of guest I want to have on yay cool yeah yeah so I guess the I also I also because it <clears throat> it feels weird to like wear the host hat which is what I call it like let's talk about this like let's just talk like about whatever because I guess if we have to, and that's why I have to like put it on but like creativity um, I've noticed you have a lot going on thank you which is definitely definitely a good thing you know it doesn't it doesn't really feel that way like it just feels um, to me it's like I I have to keep kind of a a channel open. For creative work, mm-hmm. partly just as self-care and partly as my own, um, just being how I want to be in the world. And if that's a big, great, you know, like I don't, I'm not necessarily, um, I guess I, I haven't used that like open channel language before, but like if there's creative stuff happening in my life, great. I'm just saving space for it versus, you know, some folks are like, you know, I'm trying to get published, or I am mm-hmm. trying to finish yes. um, a kid's book, or I'm trying to um, book Make it my somewhere. dance company or choreograph something that's yeah. going to be on TV or something like that. And that's that's great. And I think if you're doing it full-time, you have to kind of hustle that way and set goals for yourself. Um, I have some creative goals, but they're not... Uh, they're, I, right now, there's still things I want to do. Just because you want to do them. Yeah, my dad retired last summer, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, um, you've got, uh, my dad's into woodworking, he likes photography, people are like, you can do that as a business. <laughs> but for him, I think he needs to keep it a hobby because he enjoys it, and it's yeah, a passion. Absolutely. It changes, not that it's bad, but it changes when it's your... I think that's one of the reasons why I love improv, because there's no, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to do anything with this. It's purely mm-hmm. just a passion thing. Mm-hmm. And especially like this show, like this is a passion thing for sure. So I, yeah. I totally am channeling that. Um, you're a great follow on Instagram. Oh. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. Cause no, nobody, I've noticed not many people comment. I, I try to be more about it, but I've noticed I got, fo- I got followed by a couple of accounts of yours of different oh, projects you have going on. interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I want to hear about those. Yeah. So um, I'm part of a three-person improv team called Here's, Here's the, the Kicker. Kicker. And we have an improv, I mean, an Instagram account and are trying to do, be a little more conscientious about being a presence mm-hmm. online. Um, so Betsy Heckman, who's a coach and director and writer and kind of erstwhile all those things is trying to get back into it as a full-time paying gig where she can just do creative work full-time mm-hmm. and not have to um 
uh, work in retail or office jobs or things that she's less passionate about. She wants her passion to be her job. And so through the team, that team has taken on a little bit more of like, let's have a conscientious presence. Um, Bear Hug actually did that too for different reasons. I was on a team called Bear Hug for a while Mm -hmm. that disbanded in the end of July. I loved Bear Hug. Oh, thank you very much. Um, And then I started just one of my little goals. It's not like a capital G goal is to do um, a web series by the end of the year with at least 10 episodes. And I'm really into like, um, I don't know what to call it other than like garbage puppets. I would say trash puppets, but there's actually a really cool group out there. You should follow them on Instagram called Trash Puppets. They're amazing. But like just found materials or throwaway materials and making those into characters. Yeah, and you know, I work with kids a lot, so it's... um, I'm sure it's really good with that too. Yeah, so we started the Instagram just to be like, here's like making puppets, starting to move things from materials that you ignore into something that you recognize as a face or you're suddenly because of the way that material's moving or the way that it's changing or the way that you've manipulated it you're ascribing things like age or personality or um, profession to this weird mm-hmm. plastic Kroger bag you know I, I remember seeing what you had up there and I was just like this is the best yeah it was like the New Year's burst that's all that's <laughs> up there right now and I've like posted maybe once since then but I was like oh yeah this is this is what I want to Put a little energy, see if it carries me, if I carry it, if we make it through to, you know, the Anything big else. mountaintop of, like, YouTube, have a YouTube <laughs> channel. That's That was kind of the intention I set with doing social media for this show. Oh, yeah? It was like, um, just any, because when you do a project, obviously, to a degree, you want people to enjoy it, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why I switched, but, like... I always say, like, whatever your preferred social media is, we have it. And we, you can interact with us on that preferred social media. Mm-hmm. So I totally I totally feel the idea of, like, we set up an account to have a presence. Mm-hmm. That we are here, that exists, and if you go, mm-hmm. we'll have a backlog of our work that we've done, and you can see that we have and do things. Yeah, I think, so I think that's a little bit, like, in line with... Um, well, I mentioned my friend Betsy Heckman. So what she's trying to do is, like, have a brand, be a brand, do the things, and, like, be accessible to people across platforms. And for me, like, I, there's just certain things, you know, I'm 35, almost 36. I don't get Snapchat. I'm not going to do Snapchat. <laughs> I just don't care about it. You know, I really love Instagram for whatever reason. That just pulls on my heartstrings. I'll do Instagram, you know, like, maybe just for the sake of recording video. Instagram's a little clunky, so maybe that's YouTube, but I'm not interested in being a brand in the same way Mm -hmm. so um whether you're on all the messaging apps or facebook or all the things (laughs) um is and maybe i'm thinking about that as a you know borderline millennial gen Gen xer but no i love it that's like yeah it's like i don't care if more platforms come out i don't care um but i'm just doing that almost for me so i can see my stuff and then when people kind of collect with it as it rolls, that's cool, you know. Yeah, I think that that ha- that has to be the intention for certain projects. I mean, obviously, there's no hard and fast rule, but like, yeah, I mean, because the only thing I post on there is a picture of me and my guest. 
Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I probably the only one who goes back and looks and like, oh, there mm-hmm. I was, so so young, and there's all these other mm-hmm. people who were a part of the show. And when I forget to post a picture, it's like, or take a picture before they leave. I'm like, oh man, and I have to like do something mm-hmm. silly or funny or something mm-hmm. like that. So like, I don't know. I just I feel when I when I when I saw those accounts, I felt very strong. I was like, I know what this is. I know what this feels like. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. It's nice to see. Someone saying, I'm doing this and I'm being serious enough with it to create a new email address and then create an account mm-hmm. and post something to it. Yeah, you are a feeler. I know that about Like, you resonate with, like, you get an intuition about things. Yep. Like, that's a really important part of your, I don't know what you would call it, but that's just something that you're, you really pay attention to, you know? Yeah. I, I have friends who are, like, feeling... Like, what's a feeling? Or <laughs> they kind of, like, Sheldon, Big Bang Theory style, like, calculate out the bottom line and make a decision based on like numbers or something. Well, I feel like you would be the same way, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I'm having trouble describing <clears throat> whatever what? the other way is. Of <laughs> maybe more engineered decision making. I think that's why another, just it was so serendipitous for me to have you as my 201 and mm. emotions and having mm-hmm. a feeler teach you emotions mm-hmm. was just like how it clicked. Did I ever tell you how, how well things clicked for me at the end? Did I ever get a chance to like tell me now? Verbally, it was so funny because it was like I noticed this with one on one a little bit. Like the first six weeks of class, I'm like, I, I suck at this. I'm lost. Mm-hmm. Week seven, you do a little bit of practice, like the little mm-hmm. like you run through the show a couple times. I'm like, oh, maybe I am getting this. Like we're in the basement, and then when the show happened and when it was done, I and I know the rest of my team, uh, the team was just like, we can do this. That was Yay. a great show. <laughs> That's just, what we want. <laughs> exactly, but it was like it wasn't until the show and actually doing it and saying like. Oh, I can do this. And, uh-huh. like, there, I've done performances now that we have, like, a regular, like, night where, mm-hmm. like, I have to bring emotion. And it's, like, other than, like, uh, the show last night or Sunday night, which was not my best, but just, like, I found it being able to touch into emotion. I'm just, like, I'm so happy that I everything went the way it went because it's, like, I, that's my, that was my biggest mm-hmm. worry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, and improv is kind of a fickle uh, Mr. Semester because it's... Um, it's so dependent on like what's in the air that night, you know, mm-hmm. who you're playing with, what they had for their last meal, you know, um, the audience, how many you, beers the audience has had. Mm-hmm, right. There is a lot that goes into it. Have your I, teammates talked to their moms recently? <laughs> no. I was, and it, but it was really funny too. And I, I, I don't remember when I really hit this point, if it was one-on-one or not, but like once the audience stops being there and you stop, like you start being in your character. Oh really yeah, like how aware are you of the audience yeah. as it goes? Yeah. At mo- sometimes it's like you're you just notice like when something happens like when they laugh you're like that mm-hmm. was funny I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with that or mm-hmm. like um, they liked that emotion I'm gonna I'm gonna play off that more. But like, I read a really interesting um, psychology dissertation from a stu- somebody I don't know I just kind of ran across it um, and all I remember is his first name was Clayton. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Clayton. His- Clayton somebody um, but it was about like um, improv and dissociation and how when folks are using um, are engaged in some kind of performance or creative work sometimes there's this like um, state of flow that happens when people sometimes coders talk about that sometimes artists talk about that um, like people working on visual artwork and they kind of lose track of time or sometimes performers talk about that being wrapped up in the performance and then when they're done, they're backstage in the dressing room or something. They think, wow, it felt like forever. It felt really short. That it was, was hard to understand. Minutes? I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. And so this person had done a lot of improv <clears throat> and they 
you know, had some of these experiences, and so they were kind of exploring, like, um, some of the different accounts of experience and um, performance and how those overlap and go together or pull apart from each other. Um, I'll have to see if I can find it, and I'll send it to you. That's so interesting, because it's just like, I love that whole concept, and so to to find it as something else other people feel is very rewarding, mm. mm-hmm. um, especially the whole, like, getting off stage, stage high, and then like, I can't believe that was so short, mm-hmm. or just forget forgetting you were there, that was really big for me, too. Yeah. It's interesting to me to think about um, why people do improv in particular, because there's a question of, like, uh, what's your impact or what are you leaving people with? You know, if you do, um, if you make a, a sculpture out of bronze, it's going to be around for a while. A lot of people are going to see it. It's It means something. Like, you have an artifact at the end song, of it. If you make a song, you have a song. Yeah, people and if you make a song it. and it's recorded versus, like, the performance, and sometimes people are moved by a performance that's not recorded or... They have access, and the, the recording can be an artifact. Um, but the performance isn't an artifact. It's gone. It's gone. But the people have this experience of something, and you're still doing something. There are artifacts that go with it, like there's sheet music, or there's a score, or there's you know, recorded lyrics to a song, say, if it's a musical performance. Um, but with improv, you don't really have any... Artifacts. You don't have any tracks. It's hard to even prove, especially if someone isn't recording it, what happened and did you do anything? And so it all exists just between you and the audience. That's it. And and whatever emotional or human connection, you know, whatever memory that they have of that is really all that you have to show for it. And so some people, naturally, and I've had shows where in performances for myself where you're just doing improv for yourself. Like it's just kind of an outlet. You're doing it because you're having fun. It's cool. Thinking about the minute you start thinking about the performance, though, or what is our form? This is going to make sense to the audience. Then you're starting to think about, like, what's the audience's experience of it? Like, just even just saying, like, don't play with your back to the audience. That small step is suddenly you're not just doing it for yourself. You're thinking about the other people in it. And then it starts to become this, like, I want there to be some impact and the, the question in my mind is, what, Im- what impact? How would I measure it? What is it? What do I want people to be, you know, come in contact with, like, mortality? Just because we're doing something that's there and gone, it's ephemeral. Like, oh, maybe then people have an understanding of death, which a lot of comedy does. Or do mm-hmm. I want people to just have feelings and feel like they witnessed something that is, they haven't seen before and feel special? Like... What do we want to show for it? And so it's really interesting about improv. That's kind of a puzzle or a question mark to me. That It's a question that comes up regularly for me that I don't really have a good answer to. What, what specifically would the question be? Cause that, that, oh, what is the outcome? What's the impact? What does improv leave behind? And then the kind of bigger question is why do it? That's so... I mean... there. It, me being me, I want to try to find an answer, but I feel like that's doing the question and everything that you just said injustice and really just not the point the point is like that's a question and we try to answer it every night and we don't find an answer and that's the beauty so there's a process is that process for the audience or is it for the performer i can think of my interactions with improv um 
as a, an audience member, I have plenty of things that stick with me and mm-hmm. like performances or something that just was like, Phew, you can do mm-hmm. that. Or like, that's a, a thing that can happen. And then I've been on, I've had stage moments that I'll never ever forget just how I felt in that moment. It was like huge. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the impact. That, yeah. that, that's the answer that I want to give is like, yeah. It's it's an individual impact. It's not like you can't you and you can't be measured. You can't measure the what it was, and you can't measure what it did. Cause like there's like I talk about this all the time. My Pajar plus one set when I was in one oh one still mm-hmm. before I'd ever touched the stage mm-hmm. was like the best, and like mm-hmm. I still get really like excited thinking about it. So like that's a huge impact. That's a, that, that's something that helps me inspire me to do other things. Yeah, but like someone in the audience that night, um, just another show, just like a nervous kid with you mm-hmm. know, David, hilarious mm-hmm. David, and, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting how just how powerful the question is, oh, and it's yeah. a question for any entertainment. You know, even like a TV show. Okay, technically, like we have some record that we have something to show for it to prove it happened, but it's still like. Not a lot of people are going back to watch um, Night Court, you know, or Perry Mason episodes. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. but it, it's entertaining, you know. But also there's something special about the first time you do something. The first time, like, you can, you can play an old game, you can watch an old TV show, but nothing, you do it probably because you want to chase the feeling it gave you the first time, whether it's a show or a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. So in, in the, that's one of the things improv is it's, it happens once, there's no record of it. You can watch mm-hmm. it again, you won't get the same impact mm-hmm. the first time you see yeah. it. Um, yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Like, improv's always kind of new. Um, but I've definitely also experienced, like, oh, another improv show, you know, like <laughs> kind of on the, on the darker burnout, cynical side of, mm-hmm. of things, too. But, um, that, but that's you as a performer. Like, no one's going to go to a year's worth of improv shows Especially if they're feeling another improv show, I gotta go watch this. Like no one's forcing them to go watch. I mean, that's kind of the beauty is like, especially with with I think improv is like you go to the improvisational comedy comedic theater and you're like I'm here just to to let go of all that and that's like the beauty of an improv audience and mm-hmm. I think I'm getting away from it but that's kind of my thought. Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's escape for sure. Um, I think there's like. There can be fulfillment, enrichment in it. Um, it's when somebody does take something away. Um, I can't attribute the quote, but uh, a lot of the good folks at um, Art 180, which mm-hmm. is like a youth arts program in Richmond that's doing some really great work around town. Um, I've seen on some of their um, cards and promotional material, um, art makes your soul bigger, or art is something that makes your soul larger. And... Um, I've kind of held on to that little definition of art. Um, So I think there can be things that kind of expand um, the range of human experience a little bit or honor or acknowledge the range in a way that's wider than normally gets acknowledged. And then I think um, even David Pajor at Coalition Theater talks about this. Um, You can do things on stage that you can't do. You can bring things that are maybe even... Um, taboo or even just like socially not normative um, like you can pick someone's pocket on stage and 
we can, we definitely don't get to see that. Even our pockets picked, we don't always know that someone stole our wallet until it's after the fact. But we can see that and experience and play with it in a way that takes things that are maybe taboo or profane or like against social norms and bring them out on stage in a way that helps us understand those things in a different way. Um, so I think there's lots of answers to your point. Oh, of course. To the question. Um, I think I think I guess those those are just mine though, right? That that's how it's impacted me, and that's how I see mm-hmm. I see that I may or may not impact somebody else. And it's like if you ask anyone, it's gonna get a different answer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I yeah. love the idea of bringing something that you can't. I just love the idea that <clears throat> I signed up for improv to meet people and to like do something, mm-hmm. and like it has such a much deeper impact in general. But, more. Like, yeah. but like all the things you just said, like. Yeah, those are all real and probably things I don't think about, but like those are that's real. Oh yeah, and you can think about it. Like if you get on stage thinking about that stuff, then you're like, oh no, quick, like throw everything overboard, quick, 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 get like <laughs> get real loose because <laughs> Yeah, when I go on stage with those things I end up like you know, like um digging through a pile of dead dogs looking for my my dead dog. <laughs> you're like something really dark or really tricky and the other people on stage with me are like could you have done anything else? <laughs> Why did you go there? What's going on for you, buddy? We're worried. You know? <laughs> like, okay. So how long have you been doing improv? I started doing... I didn't know you were 35. Improv... Oh, thank you. Uh, Do you think I was... Younger. 40? 45? Younger. No, younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 17. 29. Again. 28, 29. Okay. I could have put that. you in early... Or, not, or late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Early 30s would have been pushed, but yeah. Old enough to know better. (laughs) Young enough enough to still get involved or whatever. So there's a theater um, called the Improv Shop uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, where I used to live. And they took classes there from Andy Slowey and Kevin McKernan and Katie Nunn and John Langan. And there's kind of a, a community similar that there is here of some friends that like doing improv from different places in their background and wanted to start a theater together. And Kevin McKernan is kind of the, I don't know what his title is, he's an executive director, but he also teaches drama at a high school there and um, had this dream and so they just played in bars for years and then got their own space and now they have a new space with more than one stage and it's all super cool. Um, so I started taking classes there at the improv shop and the first day that I went, my friend Katie, a different Katie, who, um, Katie Bell Ward, uh, who had maybe was a couple classes ahead of me said like hey if um i get somebody to go they'll give me 50 bucks like off my next class or something um and so i was like oh that's cool i'll for sure tell them that you referred me but then i also brought two friends just to see if they would give me 100 bucks and kevin was teaching the class and he just pulled 100 dollars out of his pocket he's like yeah great thanks um here you go and then he got up, and it was a two-hour class, and for the first hour, he just spoke about, like, the fact that um, everybody dies, and we don't always have much to show for it, for our life, makes the either makes everything that happens in life totally meaningless, or it makes it like, incredibly meaningful, because it's a limited time, and people are unique, and no combination of people is like any other combination of people. So your relationships are super valuable. And he talked about improv being ephemeral and very existentially minded because you don't have anything to show for it. 
And regardless of your spiritual beliefs, your beliefs about eternity or God, like um, you have to decide what you're going to do with moment by moment interactions. Do you see them as distractions, things to brush aside, or do you see them as as gifts and things that are really valuable? And so like three different times while he was talking, like I'm just crying quiet, very quietly, you know, trying to sit perfectly still, like I'm not crying, but like it was just very touching to me, and um, and uh, he had his TA do some, or maybe just somebody that was working there in the theater that day cleaning up, um, do some scenes with him, and they talked about playing to the top of your intelligence and the community that kind of can be created around improv and ways that can be a false community and ways it can be real and ways that you can use improv to practice being a good human <laughs> to other humans, like kind of being as supportive and co-creating something in a collaborative way, the way that you would want people to treat you in your life. And it, I felt kind of like going to church. I mean, it felt just really um, compelling. And then we just did some scenes after that, and I was kind of hooked. So that was, um, gosh, I've been in Richmond two and a half years. That was probably almost six years ago. Um for the record, I was yeah. really, I was compelled just listening to your. Yeah, I mean, and he did it, it even better than I just did it <clears throat> for an hour too. That would be yeah. just like, oh my gosh, that would that would speak to me. It too. was really lovely, and um, yeah, maybe I'll write him a thank you note or something. I, I'm sure. Just like the, uh, just to just to touch on, but like the little speech we give at the beginning of shows, like this mm-hmm. moment here and then it's gone. Like that little thing is always so meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. But like the gosh, like that whole like an hour's worth of someone who knows what the, they're talking about. Just yeah. Like, I, I got lost just, like, listening to you recount yeah. it, so. Yeah, and, I'm you know, I'm sure, like, just to follow, pull on that thread a little bit, like, all the folks that kind of, like, um, invested in Kevin as a performer and theater training and, and improv stuff in Chicago and all the people that, like, he had been on teams with and played with him, you know, it kind of is this image in my mind of a little snowball getting bigger and bigger and rolling downhill. And then like I get hit with this snowball and I'm caught up in it too. And it's, it's something we're sort of pouring into each other. So technically I'm in the snowball. As part too, of the right? community. Yeah. I mean, there's many snowballs. Like yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So the sort of movement, I guess that maybe in the nineties people started to kind of like, um, move from improv into public kinds of, more recognized entertainment, mostly like TV shows. Mm-hmm. And so people started like talking about improv in a, in a bigger way, more than just little local communities. And there was this, these people kept kind of running into improv and having these experiences and talking to their friends about it. And, you know, I haven't brought a lot of friends to the theater. I usually, any show I'm in, I usually have like three or four people in the audience, which is kind of wowed me. Like I, I'm an extrovert. I know a lot of people. But the people would come watch improv and they get excited about it and that there's just always been this stream of people I can introduce to improv and it's also like they get to see a part of me and then mm-hmm. we're loaded so the next three or four interactions I have with that person like we've got things we could talk about that maybe I would never have brought up mm-hmm. the idea that you would dig through a pile of dead dogs looking for your dog and then they're like <laughs> man like are you okay? Do you want me to make you a freezer meal? Can I bring you some soup? <laughs> this is great. We're growing in our friendship because you're worried about me now. You know, or other stuff. 
I buy I buy into that so much, but just like yeah. So six years. Mm-hmm. Did you take the, the the coalition classes at all? I'm bad at time too. Yeah. So when I moved here in August, I was like, I'm not doing it, bro. Until the end of the year, I'm not going to jump into a bunch of classes because, at kind of in my rearview mirror at that point, I had worked in St. Louis like one full time job, plus a part time job, plus um, I was teaching um, in my old grad program. Like um, I was a teaching assistant for some classes that um, a buddy of mine was teaching there, and um, was doing improv and. At one point, I was on a volleyball league. Like, there was just too much happening. And everybody felt it. Like, all my friends were like, whoa, like, we hardly catch you. You're really stressed. So moving to Richmond um, was a nice time to just kind of hit the reset button and take a breath. I was living with my sister and her husband. Did you move here for work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had the job, but that was the only kind of chunk of time in my weekend. It was around 40 hours. And mm-hmm. then... The rest of the um, commitments I just let float for a minute and wasn't trying to get into teaching or, you know, there's always the lure in my profession of like taking a bunch of training and getting certified in different things. And sometimes it's kind of a false promise. Like it's not necessarily going to make you all that much happier or wiser Mm -hmm. sometimes. Uh, So then in January I started with 201 took that for eight weeks and then took 301 for eight weeks um seems like it should have this doesn't quite line up all that well but anyway at some point took an audition I guess like late April maybe we had auditions and then Bear Hug was formed and I got on a house team that way interesting uh, yeah That it's so funny to because <clears throat> whenever I have somebody who does improv we ultimately end up talking about improv Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I also want to get away from it, but I just love talking about it so much. Yeah, you it's do. It's always funny to hear people's <laughs> story of how they kind of came, and it's it's hard to for me to picture you in a class mm. because I because I see you as you are now. You've seen me. You've seen <clears throat> the classrooms. You just seen. Like, you've seen the chairs. You just seem like one of the because there are so many. You seem like one of the titans of the Coalition Theater to oh. me. Well, thank you. Like the weird people, giants without skin. Um, that like attack the city. Exactly. But then there's this one yeah. character that turns into a titan sometimes, and he turns back to a human. Mm-hmm. And all the kids that I work with know, know all about it. Attack the Titans. Oh, Attack on Titan. Is that attack a- on Titan. I think it's Attack on Titan. It's an anime. Yeah. Yeah, it's Attack on Titan. I've never watched it, but oh, I know, well, there's I know giants without skin. Interesting. That's how you see me. <clears throat> you know what I mean by a titan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, thank I- you very much. It's. Um, yeah, I, I I don't see myself that way. Maybe I'm wrong, sure. but yeah, I appreciate it. I'll take it. Because I remember, like, like I see, like Ryan Clatterbuck is another one, but you know, when I had him on, because he was on the show, like first in the second month, he was on, mm-hmm. he was on the show, and it was just mm-hmm. like this is a big get, and I still feel like you're like you're a big get. So oh, just, thank you. Um, I'm all about buttering bread on the show. You <laughs> <laughs> tell. So other than improv, what what else? All these creative things. So the puppets. Um, that's just like a fun thing you like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, improv. What else gets your creative gull? Um, so I like reading a lot of fiction and poetry stuff. Uh, 
have a particular fondness kind of for young adult fiction. Um, and there's folks who are way more knowledgeable about that than I am. But, um, and then I do some creative writing too, uh, mostly like poetry stuff. And I have a friend and I used to call my friend Michelle Volmer my creative writing partner. But we just Skype every other week and talk about like being creative and trying to keep the flames alive in our lives of creativity. And we don't write that much. So I can't really call my friend Michelle that anymore. Uh, but maybe in the future we'll use that term again. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of a big deal for me. And then I always grew up in a family um, that was like singing and telling stories. And, I, and I'm so religious, grew up religious. And so I, the, I go to a church that, so I'm always singing at least once a week for like an hour. And um, I had a friend, Christina, in St. Louis who's not religious. And she was kind of lamenting that to me several years ago. And she was saying, um, you know, in our, in our culture in America, we don't sing. There's not a lot of corporate singing. <clears throat> and so she loved getting the people together and singing. And she's like, you know, I'm not all that musical, but I just like it. People are breathing together. You're like caught up in an experience and um, she felt like we were culturally a little poorer because we didn't have lots of cultural music. Mm -hmm. When people are doing music together it's because they're part of some subculture and they're trying to like express that cultural identity but in general we sing the national anthem at baseball games and sometimes basketball games and football games and, and it's more important for most people like oh, let's get this over with so I can sit down. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's it. So you know, like like even kids in music class are like, "What the hell is going on?" Can I say hell on the show? I said hell on the show. Uh, what the you know? They're like, "What Shut the heck?" Because there might be an elementary school. What the heck? Uh, <laughs> you know, this music teacher is acting like we should know if I had a hammer, and we just don't know it. We don't know what is this even about. Who's John Henry? You know, mm -hmm. uh, so. I, I like getting into music stuff, and and I haven't found a place that both has a piano that's in tune and like will give me a key and alarm code. But in St. Louis, <laughs> I those that little perfect trifecta was true for um, the church I went to, and so I would you know sink into the church, turn off the alarm, go upstairs, and uh, just like seeing, I don't even know, I'm not very talented at the piano, but I can kind of like push the buttons, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. um, and uh, so that was always really fun. I can definitely relate to everything you just said. Cause I really Every single thing? Relate. The alarm codes? Relate. Oh, relate. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm wishing that I had a place that I could go to that I could play my music as yeah. loud as I want and like sing if I want to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I can mm -hmm. absolutely relate to that. Yeah. Because the people who are below you right now aren't a big fan of the setup. That sounds like the voice of experience. Yeah. Um, I won't get into that, but yeah, that's the voice of experience. So I would love, I, I don't know, music, I was just, I was just having this conversation about how <clears throat> intense music can be for me. Not even like words, but sometimes just like the sounds or the chord changes or whatever. Uh -huh. And so like getting to a place where that's something that you can do with somebody, like She's like, let's go play music together. I don't care. Let's let's go do yeah. anything. We're listening. Yeah. Like music. any kind of music jam. Oh yeah, I love that. I'm. I just so like yeah. I relate really hard. It's like the idea of like wanting to 
have a place where that can be a thing. Yeah. Um, so and that might be a thing coming up soon sometime. Yeah, like, I might great. know something about that. My um, friend Kathleen Throw used to be the music director at that church. Um, she retired, stepped down when while I was there, but um, she had a saxophone. I don't know if it belonged to her or the church, but I used to play the saxophone. And then when I left, um, I used to live in Brussels. And when I left Belgium, I like kind of was in the process of quitting my job. And I contacted a friend there that had a kid that wanted to play the saxophone and just said, hey, you know, I have the saxophone. Can I leave it? You guys, would you want it? Because it was too expensive for them. Um, and so I got rid of my saxophone then, moved to Houston briefly, and then to St. Louis. And then Kathleen was like, hey, if you'll play a saxophone occasionally in church, then you could just keep it and play and practice and do whatever you want. Um, and so that was a really cool thing. But right now, I don't have a, a horn. I don't have a saxophone. But, That's a bummer. Yeah. And I don't have my chops or anything. like um, Your chops? My, my embouchure. What? Yeah, so with saxophone, um, you can't see this, listeners, but I'm peeling the bottom, my bottom lip outward. You just, like... Build up a ridge here of like tough skin on the inside of your bottom lip because when you play the saxophone, you cover your bottom teeth and your lip cushions and stabilizes the reed mm -hmm. of the mouthpiece on your bottom teeth um, while your the top of your mouth goes and your lips have to make a really tight seal around this mouthpiece so that the reed, which is sticking into your mouth, can vibrate really freely like a millimeter or so away from the hard plastic mouthpiece. Um, and then that vibration amplifies through the whole instrument and, you know, you're doing all the finger stuff. Um, so you build up, like, guitar mm -hmm. calluses. Yeah, you get a callus on the inside of your bottom lip, and then you also get, like, this these extra muscles. I mean, your your lips get real buff. <laughs> buff <Yeah>. lips. Because <laughs> if you don't have that, then you're playing hard or playing for a long time, you start, like, leaking air, and it's harder sense. to get a good tone out of the horn. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. You, I feel like yeah. I'm bummed that you had to come on when the when the show was shorter because I feel like I could just go into it even <laughs> more. Um, yeah, it feels so weird that there's like not much time left. Um, is there anything we didn't touch on creatively that I just don't mm -hmm. know to ask about? Well, what kind of things do you normally talk about? Whatever you're into, really. So the show's called The Producers. And it came about because okay. I wanted to be more creative. I had gotten out of this uh -huh. relationship where I just wasn't feeling very creative. I wasn't investing in myself. And it was like, well, that's three things I want to do. Music, comedy, and uh, I want to do a podcast. Uh -huh. And so I was like, well, what if I do a podcast about creativity so I can bring people on who either are into the things I'm into or are into things I've never even thought of. And we can talk about them and I can learn and we can like just t go back and forth and like just talk about people who produce things, who create things, creativity. Cool. So anything that you're into creatively? I do think, um, this is a little more philosophy, but I do have like Please. twin bones to pick with like creatives these days. This is maybe another time I might sound old, but um, <laughs> I think people are really concerned with like expressing themselves and also have this fragility about it these days. You know, I do too about, I want to be able to express myself in this way and not get any flack for it and just kind of be this like free spirit where I can just like do my thing and I don't want people to criticize it or bump into it or um, analyze it too much. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curating 
the way people see my life on Tumblr or Instagram or Facebook or whatever the things are, Snapchat, um, even though I don't have it. Um, but I think uh, people also think like creativity is getting kind of co-opted with this um, idea of experience or exposure. So when people grow, they experience something new or they're exposed to a new idea or a new concept or something else. Um, they kind of equate that with, um, there's this idea of like, oh, this is really special because I have some kind of feeling about it and I'm going to express in a new way. Like it's kind of like the blogging thing. And I have a horrible blog that's buried somewhere on the internet um, a long time ago where I was like, oh, you know, I'm just having these ideas for the first time and kind of like in college I'm blogging and there's this kind of sophomoric idea of like, you're learning, you're growing as a person and you want to put it out there and you want to, you're starting to feel like an expert for the first time. And sometimes people feel like I want to put my stuff out there and it's, that's what creativity is. Um, but I think creativity in that way is not super disciplined. It's kind of like just self-expression. And I think creativity is this idea of like, you're, creating something and fashioning something it takes a lot of discipline to do that like you're studying an art which has a history and so when an invariably like when I take people to an art museum that don't go to an art museum very often one of the things that they might say is well I could do that you know like oh yeah and so you know a lot of my artist friends answer very quickly and they just say but you didn't um, but there's also this idea of like the, the folks who might make something that we're looking at in the VMFA, um, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, they might, that artist has like studied certain ways of interacting with materials and they've studied like certain other artists. And so the, the thing that they made is laden with all these hours and that they've invested into their craft as well as that they've labored under other artists or it's even just invested with the sense of history of like what else was happening creatively in the last 20 years before they made their piece whatever it is and I think in that way if someone's making art or someone's being creative um, they're honoring like their context and they're doing it in a way that is kind of like um disciplined there's a craft to it and there's historical context and there's even relational context with like who they've studied with and that's not to say like creativity has to be high art mm -hmm. because um one of the most creative people i know and i'm gonna kind of forget this person's name right now um i'm just gonna wait and it'll come back to me um she makes you know um crafts out of paper and like food and is just a creative thinker and it's the way that she sees the world and the way that she uh, produces new ideas that make other people um gosh i wish i could remember this person's name because it's such a great example um just saying like look i did a thing i just tried something for the first time um I think that's important and there's probably creativity involved in it, but like 
I want that person saying like, look, I'm an artist or look, I'm creative to try that thing a hundred times and to really get to know it and understand it and to be around other people who are doing that kind of a thing. And, um, in that way, all those hours that they're learning about the material and all those hours they're invested with other artists is actually um, formative of the way that they see and understand things. And so, like, I really love creativity because I think that creative work over time, repeated creative work over time, forms the way that we experience things and see things and hear things and take in information. Even as a musician, you're listening to a piece of music in a deeper, more complex way than you maybe did when you were in the third grade because that's had a formative effect on you. Um, And sometimes I think that gets lost, so I just like to stick up for it and put out a little soapbox and preach a little bit on it. Does that make sense? You just dropped so much knowledge so I don't much, know if so it's much true. Th- I just <clears throat> how I'm thinking about it these days. <laughs> but like thinking of like for example, uh-huh. um, one of the things that has been kind of great about doing this show, um, you can go back and there was a point where I writ- written a song for the very first time, chords, chord progression, structure, uh-huh. and I I finished. It. I'm like I did this. Yeah. And so when you say that, my first thought isn't like uh, isn't like oh those are this garbage. I'm not an artist. But it was like yes, I do whatever I did. I did that. Uh-huh. Now I should do it again. Yeah. And I should keep doing it. I should keep investing time because a lot of times people, like, they want to be good at something right away. Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying is by the process of me writing that and then, like, all the time I spent failing at doing that and all the time I've spent since either writing more or failing more is, like, that's what's going to make me, quote-unquote, an artist, uh-huh. kind of. And so for me, it's, like, it's very motivating. It, like, it, like, reignites, like, it's fire, just, like... It's not about just like what I make. It's about doing the thing, mm. playing with people, playing with myself, writing things down, just ex- learning, experimenting, reading up, like mm-hmm. putting in this time to be good at something. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I I definitely lost sight of in my mm. journey to be creative. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to like you know, psh, oh okay, I'm 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 up again. I recognize <laughs> that I need to be a little more aware. Like this is the thing. Yeah, and play is. It's an interesting word because kids play, like, with endless repetition. You know, even, like, when a kid asks an adult to play with them, eventually the adult is like, okay, we just did it seven times. I'm done. Like, (laughs) uh, but the kid is like, no, no, you come back to life and I'm going to kill you again. Come back to life. Kill you again. Come back to life. Kill you again. And the kid is, like, really getting into this idea of being in control and then maybe they'll switch roles later when they're feeling good about being the killer then they can die they're vulnerable enough with you and they're just all this repetition and even babies are like i'm gonna drop the thing you're gonna pick the thing up i'm gonna drop the thing you're gonna pick the thing up and it's like yes i'm gonna do that repeatedly um with no end in sight yeah and i think sometimes people get play which takes time and it's slow and you're learning and maybe creative growth is happening confused with entertainment which is like I need to be having fun I want to do it good the first time you know this uh-huh. and that it's like they, I like entertainment I love entertainment but it's different uh-huh. than like play or creative growth or whatever the right word is for that other thing um, putting in time for your craft yeah 
And so when we're talking about like hobbies or, you know, people are filling out a dating profile and they're like, what do you like to do? Or like, I like, you know, and they're just listing some things that might sound cool for them to do on a weekend. But we have this idea of like, what's your hobby? What's your passion? Follow what you love. Well, maybe my hobby is actually something creative. And in that case, it's kind of a disciplined thing. It might not actually be entertaining. Some of my hobbies might be entertaining. Some of my hobbies are like play where, you know, if my hobby is volleyball and I love me some volleyball, like I'm actually doing a lot of reps of like bum set spike and playing defense and getting up at the net and serving and like there's a ton of repetition in that, and that's hopefully getting better at volleyball mm-hmm. or maintaining an edge that I might have um, and not just lazy flopping these long arms around because my arms are longer than people. I can play lazy. But, like, actually playing in a way that, that. Uh, like pulls out that athletic pull or athletic drive from people. A lot of repetition, a lot of work. Yeah. Different I, than just being entertained, I guess. Yeah, I think that's... Definitely something that I've been aware of, for sure, like with different my different processes and things I've gotten into. And when I think about it, it's like, oh, I wish I had put more time into this thing that I had been doing, or I wish I had done this or that, or I'm, I like that I did this, mm-hmm. things like that. And yeah. So, no, that resonates. Uh, everything, this is an episode I probably will listen to again, just because of how, like, <laughs> I'm going to listen to it too. I'm going to be like, oh, no, what the heck did I say? <laughs> what the hell did I say? I can say it. I can say hell. My parents are going to totally ground me. (laughs) Yeah, this is also, you know, speaking of, not that being a podcast guest is like this really high calling or craft, but this is the first podcast I've ever been a guest on. Really? So any podcast I'll ever be a guest on in the future, I'll be like, oh, I was first a guest on Jonathan's podcast. That's so great. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you host hat again. Yeah, um, my Go favorite ahead. thing to talk about in general with like life and stuff is like relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about relationships? I'm for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we can keep we can keep having relationships. Everybody <laughs> confirmed. As you were, everyone. I just um, <clears throat> growing up for me, I was I guess looking back, I was so encapsulated by the feeling by the idea of like love and like building a really strong bond with another human that. Like, growing, like, as soon as I hit, like, like 15 or whatever, the next 10 years, I was in relationships all the time. Like, at least a mm-hmm. solid 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. years. And so, going through that big breakup where I was like, I just lost all sense of individual self. I'm like, I need to step back and, like, really, yeah. like, take control of this idea. Like, yes, that's a great thing, but if I don't have something or something. So, that, that's kind of been my journey. And so, I like to hear other people's because it's usually very influential. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to get... Into whatever you don't want to into get the into. weeds, yeah. But feel free to, of course. Yeah. So, let's think about romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, I remember uh, in, oof, I guess it'd probably be like early, maybe first grade. I was at Fort Hill Middle School, or maybe, and then I, I moved that year to Weberwood Elementary School, and maybe then it was second grade. At Weberwood, somewhere in there, I started to realize, like, oh, like, my parents are still together. That's interesting. Like, I had an awareness that my parents were not divorced just because so many kids, like, 
were like, oh, I'm going to my dad's this weekend. And I was like, what's that? You know? <laughs> um, but I just started to have this feeling of like, um, oh, being different. Uh, because my parents were together, which you would... Um, Culturally, these days, is not the norm. Yeah. You're practically a freak. Um, and even as recently as, oh, maybe eight or nine years ago, my um, grandmother and I were together in Oklahoma, and my parents weren't there. Uh, but she kind of turned to me, and she's like, you know, your parents really have it. I was like, what? She's like, they've got that spark. What are you talking about? She's like, you know, they, they just, that's true love. That, so it's kind of a thing that, like, my parents have had this really great marriage. You know, they're flawed people, but they've really had this amazing relationship. Um, and there's a sense in which I'm kind of like, well, great. Like, I'm, I'm not going to try to top that because whatever, you know. Um, but then, like, that's really has been a resource for me. Knowing, like, I can always go back to them. I'm not going to lay something on one of them that's so overwhelming that they're just undone because they're going to pull in the other and kind of tag team it. And <laughs> it's at least like I'm outnumbered. When it's me versus my parents, they have at least roughly two times the human capacity that I do as one person. And so I can kind of like go to them with heavy stuff or lay some hurting on them and they're going to figure it out. Um, so that's been interesting, you know, for family. There were three kids. I guess they were outnumbered. I don't know what they would say if they had that experience uh, of me. But um, I also, growing up, had this, there's kind of this through line for me of, like, everybody's like, oh, you look just like your dad. You know, I grew up looking like my dad. Um, but having, like, strong feelings, being a big verbal processor, not being an engineer, my dad was being way more drawn to like language arts, which my mom was an English teacher uh, by training, and she didn't always do that, or even mostly do that. But um, that was kind of like more similar to my mom in the way I interacted with the world, but like reminded people of my dad and started having this experience of like, oh, I'm different than my dad. And um, at some point, kind of came to terms with um, being gay and being like, oh, you know, like. That's a that's a thing for me. That's different than my heterosexual parents, um, and uh, I had this, you know, the the things that you have when you're like, oh, I'm going to a small Christian college. I don't know if you've ever been to a small Christian college, and I'm a person of faith, but like I'm also coming to terms with sexuality in a way that like is new for me and doesn't match my context. And so, a good bit of my life from, I don't know, around 18-ish when I went to college through and maybe like a decade through like um, 28 or so. I was living in uh, St. Louis, just had moved to St. Louis, um, was kind of taken up with this big struggle around sexuality and accepting it and figuring out what does this mean for relationships? Am I ever going to make babies with somebody. Um, and then St. Louis was the first city where I was just pretty much out and I moved a lot and just kind of practice accepting that in my life and 
helped me kind of figure out my faith in a different way. So there hasn't been a lot of room for me to kind of um, play the field, as it were, dating. I never had this experience of like being on all the apps, partly because I'm too old to be on all the apps. You know, <laughs> um, it's it's. I just want to say it's my birthday on Saturday, so I'm like really into making old jokes about myself. I feel like most of what I've said on the podcast is like just I'm this old man, <laughs> um, turning thirty six. Uh, and so it's always been the case for me with that context that I have like a group more than like a person. So whether the group is like my faith community, whether the group is kind of in my family, whether the group has just been like, um, I have this close posse of friends, uh, in St. Louis, like six or seven people. I was like Angela, Kyle, Neil, Nathan, Heidi, Tanya, um, and then this other group of people that kind of coalesced around my friend Jamie, um, my college roommate Jonathan was in St. Louis, and so there was this, these different kind of interchangeable pieces that like would take vacations together and be in each other's houses and share meals. Um, in college, everything is kind of about group. I was an RA, I had the dorm, I had the the hall, like. And anyway, it was just a college of like 900 students on top of a mountain. And so there was a lot of like, well, here we are. We've got each other. Um, and even now, it's kind of that way as, a, as an extrovert, as somebody that does a lot of hospitality, having people in my house. Like, the group has been really huge for me. And I both feel like... Well, I feel like I may not be answering your question, but I also feel like that has both um, enriched my life in a way that a lot of people miss who are really focused on being an individual and dating, finding the right person. Like, that puts a lot on that re relationship um, versus, like, finding and creating my posse is a little bit like people can kind of share the weight of community building together. Um but I, it also maybe has boxed me out a little bit of, I mean, there have been definitely long periods where I've been like, whoa, taking myself off of the dating hook, out of the dating pool, just to focus on your spirituality, religion, celibacy, being with people in a, in a more corporate way. Um, I think I probably would have been a monk <laughs> if we like had monks. I mean, I, I know there are orders these days and I'm not Catholic, so that's a little different. I'm not Buddhist, and that's a little different. And so, you know, there's other traditions in the world. Um, but uh, can monks be silly? Oh yeah, yeah. You should um, Google like uh, Zen Buddhist monks. Yeah. Playing. Make sure you put the word playing, and you just <laughs> really rich. <laughs> it's a great Google image search. Interesting. Um, I've gotten really good at child-friendly Google image searches. I believe. Like, you. Turn safe search on. And then you and a child can, like, look online and find fun things, like coloring pages. I don't want to know what I'd find if I Googled Zen Buddhist monks playing with Safe Search Off. Well, that one's <laughs> probably okay. <laughs> it's so Who funny to hear you say, the, gosh, because that, that's why I love doing this show. Cause I feel like, like I had a bigger answer than you were looking for. <laughs> no, that was, like, that was, like, a perfect answer. And honestly, it's one of the, it, it, you were saying, like, some people would miss out. Hello, that was me. I missed out on so much because mm. I was so... I moved around a lot as a kid. I'm at four different high schools, mm -hmm. like, in four mm -hmm. different states, or three different states, and I was just like... I think That's for hard. me, I, I'm not as much of an extrovert either. 
So like it's mm-hmm. hard to find a community or group that I can fit into. And then, yeah. Like, so the lunchroom can be real challenging. <laughs> yeah. And then for college, like I worked full time and I didn't live on campus. So uh-huh. like it was like drive to class, drive home, go to work. And so like for me, I think that's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to these relationships. Because like mm-hmm. I don't have, I don't know how to find a group, but mm-hmm. I know how to find somebody and like I'm very passionate and caring person. So like people are drawn to that and it's nice sure. to have like a relationship. And I mean, in college, I was in a two and a half year relationship that was like really good like we were really good for each other and like it allowed me to kind of feel safe to branch out and do other things uh-huh. um with meet meet other people and find a community but like this is the first place i've lived and no i lived in new orleans for five years but like i was in college i feel like any kind of school takes away from a lot of things that you mm. want to do but like this is the first place i've lived where i haven't been there and like i'm kind of building a community like having like an improv team and like all these things like building on that and so like hearing you talk about that's like exactly i don't want to say opposite but like there's just a lot of like contrasting mm, ideas there sure and it's like i sometimes i wish i'd focus less on relationships yeah. and more on community yeah. building yeah and well i i've had i get a lot of credit around the word community so i was a community development major <clears throat> at covenant college and they're a great little program there um and then i worked um, doing some community mapping and community organizing um, for a nonprofit in Europe, in Belgium, uh, and then um, got a social work degree, and and even now I'm working doing like quote unquote community work, even though it's mental health work, um, and yeah, I th- I think people just love this word community, mm-hmm. but I also had a lot of I mean I had a lot of ready made community both through my faith community and finding a church like it just gives you you know you're gonna get like 10 meals out of the year with some family that like invites you over like you're just gonna get at least 10 free meals (laughs) um you know like there's pros and cons sure to organize religion but you're gonna get some free food okay cool and you're probably gonna get 10 more free meals at the church at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funeral or there's a potluck or there's a wedding, you know, like those things are happening. Which, you know, at times when I've been in a season of like, you know, doubt or ready to leave my faith and just throw the whole thing in the dumpster, um, that honestly has been one of the things that has kept me, like not just the free food, but like the community. And I know there's people who care about me here. And it's been really challenging to think about my friends who are, not religious or my friends who for whatever reason are far from their family or maybe they've kind of their families burned bridges with them and they've had to kind of start over from scratch like man that's tough and if and then if somebody's going through unemployment they lose that kind of ready-made community or if they live in a neighborhood or with neighbors that where it's not safe you don't talk to people on the street man that's a hard community and so i have a lot of privilege coming in with a lot of ready-made community and even just like, you know, my family's tight and my extended family. I know most everybody and we're on good terms. If I ever end up in Tallahassee or South Central Oklahoma <laughs> or Ohio, like I can find my way into someone else's home and get fed and That's a hot place. shower. Yeah. yeah. Um, and probably somebody will take me bowling, you know, um, <laughs> Not everybody can say that about Tallahassee or South Central Oklahoma or Ohio. Ohio has great bowling. Yeah. Just want to say. (laughs) Um, Keeping the dream alive. 
I think that's exactly kind of what I've been searching for. Because, I mean, yeah, you just described me with, like, having a lot of, like, uncertain community. Mm. My family's far away. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know many. I don't, I don't know many people yeah. in here. So, like. It takes a while to get roots and to get, does. like, you know, the network going. Especially having moved so much. Like, at this point, my typical process is, like, all right, where should I move next? Yeah. Like you know, depending on how much you've moved and what your average length of stay is, you may just not have a lot of experience with, like, years 2 through 10 in a place. And I know, because I moved a fair amount, um, I did have a long stretch in West Virginia, but um, where we moved different houses, but around the same kind of metro area. Um, it was Charleston. West, West Virginia doesn't have really metro areas, but we we lived in South Charleston, West Virginia. (laughs) But, like, I realized at some point when I moved to St. Louis, there are certain things that happen, like, year three of living somewhere that I'm just not used to. Like, some people I, like, try to connect with twice and doesn't really take, and I'm like, well, whatever. And then they, like, came back around in year two or year three or year four, and I was like, I don't have a lot of year fours anywhere. Yeah. Um... And so when I moved to St. Louis, I was like, if I possibly can, I'm going to stay and not move anymore. And I made it seven years and just couldn't find a job to help me pay my graduate student loan debt. Uh, it's a whole <laughs> can of worms. And then found a better paying job here. And my sister and brother-in-law were here, so it made sense. But um, it was really cool to live almost seven years in one place. I hadn't done that. Yeah, five year, five years in New Orleans was very weird. Yeah, I had spent so few years. So there was no year fives. You yeah, know, one year five. Yeah. like I was a kid. And like I, you I say, college university is a little bit artificial, I guess. Because I went, I went to school all five years I was there, and so like I moved as soon as I was done, and I was like working full time and going to school full time. Like, yeah, like what chances are really to build community when you know eighty hours out of the week you're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, you focus on work communities. And it wasn't until my last year there that I found a job that I liked and had a good community. Uh-huh. And then <clears throat> leaving that, I was like, I just found this. Yeah. It also sucks seeing them have, like, a really good time and I'm not there. And I'm like, oh, man. There you all are having there fun. There you are. And I'm yeah. Here. Yeah, when I moved here, I started to, like, have that around, like, announcements and invitations and things that would come through. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. No. Not going on Facebook. This is so weird to me to end the show at this point because I'm used to having an hour or two like uh-huh. strapping in. Yeah. Um, but you've been a very great guest. I really appreciate your Thanks, man. It was way easier than I thought. It's yeah. easy. <laughs> if you're worried people. out there and you want to be on this podcast, <laughs> just message Jonathan. Yeah. He'll get you back. I mean, he'll get back to you. He'll get back in. But know. I feel like the, the quality of... Because I feel like... You, you, like listening to you talk was just great. But like, I wonder, what, I wonder how, how loose you would have gotten an hour or two. Like what? Because you, you probably would have run out of like smart things to say. I'm kidding. But. Jonathan is pumping drugs into both of my arms. Just so you know. <laughs> so when he's talking about getting loose, like I'm under the influence. Please send help. I can't move my legs. So the, the difficult thing, surprisingly, is knowing when to end it. Yeah. Like how to end it. So I found. Most most podcasts I've noticed had like a phrase, and that just like cuts. I don't want to like follow that trend, but I found like a, a thing to kind of signal the end, and then we kind of just fade. And say you don't like my thing about not moving my legs. Wait, what? You don't like my thing about not moving my legs? What do you mean? You know that you're pumping drugs into my body. 
I thought that was a great ending. No, no, because well, I have I have my own ending. Oh yeah, the no, show. You should be able to end it because it is your body. <laughs> <laughs> I just completely glossed over that. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to know. So I end the show the same way. Okay. Um, what's the weirdest thing in my room? I have a room full of eclectic things. It's a very weird, interesting room. Oh. You've had about an hour to sit and stare uh-huh. at certain things. I've only kind of seen half of it. I'm turning exactly. around to see weird um, things. But yeah, um, I will veto things that have been said before too many times. And if you okay. have any question, I'll tell you the story after. Because um, I don't want to like repeat too many okay. things. Okay, okay, okay. So um, the thing that's catching my uh, eye the most is this flag. Um, it's mostly, a, say, like... Three quarters of it is this wide white stripe, and then maybe a quarter, or maybe like a fifth of it in the top. Maybe even a seventh of it is red, and the seventh is the blue at the bottom. And there's three gold fleur de lis in the middle, um, and that's very similar in color, not necessarily design, but also the fleur de lis symbol to a St. Louis flag. Although St. Louis flag has this weird Y, blue Y that kind of goes mm-hmm. from the corners and across, and it's the two. The Missouri and the Mississippi rivers coming together, but used to be part of France and honors that with flirtily symbols all over the city. Um, so that flag is just standing out to me in this moment because I talk so much about St. Louis. Yeah. Um, so that's a New Orleans flag. Aha! Uh-huh. I knew um, there was a connection. I bought I bought it on Amazon and it can't gave me they gave me two on accident. I bought one on Amazon. My friend was uh, taking a boat. From New Orleans to New York, uh-huh. and I wanted her to fly the flag, so I bought her a flag. Uh. They gave me one, and then I already had the USA flag, and then the Union Jack flag because I found them at Goodwill, and I like kitschy things, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I buy, then I bought the Virginia flag when I moved here. But just like I like, fl- I feel like they take up a, a good amount of wall space, and they're like really nice, huh. in my opinion. Yeah, they're symbolic. Exactly, yeah. um, and then the the. You didn't ask, but the thing over it, the We Heart John, uh-huh. on my last day at that really good job I mentioned, they hung up a little sign for me. Oh, amongst, there it is. Amongst other signs and balloons, and I kept that because it was just, like, really, really nice. Yeah. Somebody brought their markers to work. <laughs> they always did. Um, you have any, you want to plug your social media? I'll, I'll plug it again at the top. Oh, yeah. Teensy Tiny Little Bit is the puppet um, channel. Robert Nichols is the... Me channel. Um, channel. They're not channels yet. They're just Instagram accounts. Um, and then here's the kicker? Yep. Here's the kicker. I cannot tell you how to spell it. It has... I'll find them and I'll... I'll an odd number of E's. <laughs> here, it's like, here's Johnny, but it's not Johnny. It's the kicker. The kicker. Yeah, good luck. Good luck, all you listeners. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, John.